The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So last year, we had a gal on the podcast named Duana Welch. She wrote a book called Love Factually, where uh, she talks about the scientific research of romance. And she lays out all these great tips on what you can do to make a great first impression with women, what attracts uh, women to men, what you can do to on a first date to you know leave a good first impression, and things you can do to have a, establish a, a good, strong marital relationship, all based on scientific research. So if you haven't listened to that show, go check it out. Look for it on the, the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to have Dwayne back to talk about some of the more, uh, the negative aspects of romance. And in this episode, we're going to get into what the research says about cheating, the influence of pornography in relationships, breaking up, divorce, what a death of a loved one, the effect that has, particularly on men. Uh, so it's it, get into the nitty gritty in this show. And just FYI, if you listen to the podcast, usually with your young sons, we get into some adult topics here. So you might want to sit this one out. But without further ado, Dwayne Welch, Love Factually, and the downsides of romantic relationships. All right, Dwayne Welch, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Brett. It's great to be back. Right. So you were, we had you on about, it's been about a year, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked about your book, Love Factually, and uh, we've got a lot of positive feedback about that podcast. Um, and I think the last podcast, we we really focused on the positive aspects of getting a, in a, a good relationship. You know, what, what women find attractive in men, what men can do to um, nurture a good, strong relationship. Uh, but I think this time it'd be interesting to see what research you've come across about the rocky aspects of relationship, right? Whenever relationships aren't going well. Um, so let's start off. I mean, I think we're going to, let's get like, right. We're going to dive right in and go to like the worst aspect of what hap- can happen in a relationship, which is cheating. Uh, yeah. You don't mess around. Do you? I don't you mess around. Right. We're going to get right around. Cause I think it's, it's a question. I mean, it happens, um, uh-huh. but people don't know, like there's know what to do when that, when they encounter that. Um, so let's, what does the research say about cheating? Like why do men cheat? Uh, why do women cheat? Are there different reasons why, uh, the sexes will, uh, not be faithful to their partner? Well, the first, the good news, there's a lot of research on this. So I have a lot to say that's not my opinion on the matter. Um, 
which I prefer. You know, I, I don't like to give my opinion. I like to um, give insight that's based on science. And there is a lot of science about all these questions. So uh, in some cases, men and women cheat for the exact same reasons. In other cases, the reasons are very different. So I guess we could start with the similarities. Yeah, that sounds great. The number one time that both men and women are going to cheat is a situation where later on they say, I didn't mean to have that affair. This is the situation where you meet someone at work or, well, it's usually at work because it's someone you meet almost every day that you feel attraction for, but you may be happily married. And so you tell yourself, you kid yourself really, that, oh, I'm happily married. Therefore, I can flirt with this person at work a little bit and it's not going to create any damage in my primary relationship, my marriage. And so you flirt a little bit and then... Um, you gradually stop telling your your wife about this other person at work. You used to tell her, oh, you know, Janet and I had this joke at work, but now you find that you don't tell your wife about that anymore. But you find that you do tell Janet lots of stuff about your wife and lots of stuff about your, your life outside of work. And then eventually you realize, hey, I'm getting kind of close to the fire here. Um, I better stop this but I work with Janet. So I'm going to tell Janet that I'm attracted to her and I have to avoid her. And what's really interesting about that, Brett, is that men and women who do this, they, they tell the uh, person they're attracted to that they're attracted to them. They usually do this as a maneuver to avoid an affair, but it actually contributes to having an affair. Um, because once it's out there that I'm attracted to you and you're attracted to me, it gets much more tempting. And so this is how um, people go from, I had coffee at, uh, at work to, I had coffee away from work to, oh my God, how did my penis get into your vagina? <laughs> and so that's actually the number one way that affairs happen for both men and for women is kind of the accidental affair, where um, people gradually kind of unwittingly con themselves into thinking that they're affair proof when they're really not. Interesting. And I mean, it, and I guess this would not only apply to work, but like just, uh, I guess friendships, right? Um, inter, inter, intersex friendships. Yeah, actually uh, the most famous researcher on this topic has unfortunately been killed in a car wreck. I really wanted to, I became a big fan of her work, Shirley Glass, and I started doing more and more research about her and quickly learned that she had an untimely death. Um, but she did a lot of research about this. And she actually had a book called Not Just Friends, which was about that very thing, that um, a lot of times when we think we have an opposite sex friend, we really don't have a friendship happening. We have a potential affair happening. Um, I think she's a little hard line. She basically says, don't ever, ever, ever flirt with your opposite sex friends. I kind of think life would be not very much fun if I never, ever flirted with my opposite sex friends. People really differ about that opinion. Uh, but she's correct in the sense that if you never even flirt with them, it's very unlikely you're going to wind up having an affair. All right. So she's arguing the, the Harry met Sally, that the, the Harry argument. Yeah, and you know, there's actually another scientist, very much alive and very young, named April Blesky, who did research on um, men and women and friendships, and she found that the whole Harry Met Sally thing was exactly right. When Harry says, no, women can have male friends, but men, they pretty much want to do you. That's what the, the research showed was that uh, most women who say that they're in a friendship with a guy really are just in a friendship. And so they think they're flirting with you, but they're really not taking it seriously. They don't mean anything by it. Um, more than half the guys in that study admitted that, yeah, if they could have sex with this woman friend, they would. But 
at the same time, they usually valued that friendship too much to try to make a move without a clear sign that it would be okay because um, they're friends with the woman because they really like her. It's just that they also have a sexual interest. So uh, just be careful. I guess the, the, the advice there may be be careful with uh, platonic intersex friendships. Understand that while your female friend might think, okay, this we're just friends, you might have a tendency to think, well, we could be more than friends if there was an opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I, I think a big message from the research is don't hide behind your happy marriage. It's not going to protect you. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I'm very happily married, and frankly, research indicates that most people are who most people who are married are happily married, and yet there's a pretty high affair rate. And uh, again, some of that happens through these accidental affairs where people of good character just kind of con themselves into not seeing the signs that they're growing more distant from their partner and closer to someone else until really they are either almost having a full-on emotional sexual relationship or they are actually having it. Okay. So if those are the, 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 the similarities of why men and women cheat, uh, what are the differences? Well, um, one thing that really bothered Dr. Glass, uh, I don't mean that she had a moral judgment against it, but it, she she kind of didn't understand it, was that um, she had assumed that men and women would be more likely to have affairs when they are unhappy, and she was half right. Women are more, unlo- more likely to have affairs when women are unhappy. So uh, lonely women make good lovers, guys. If you are married or you have a serious partnership and you don't want cheating to occur from them, it's really wise to stay emotionally close to your partner because women who feel emotionally close to their partners are much less likely to ever cheat. Um, but the same cannot be said of men. She found that men were having affairs whether or not their primary relationship was happy. And in fact, she found that the happiest partnerships she studied, the guys were, were having affairs. Some of them were actually using affairs to become happier in their primary partnership because they enjoyed sexual variety and they felt like they were just happier if they were getting that. And so uh, that was almost incomprehensible really to most women's thinking because um, really studies, and and I will say it right out, my own experience, uh, both professionally and personally, confirmed that um, when women are happy, they're thinking about that primary partner and they're not really thinking about other partners. Interesting. Um, so, I mean, any, any other reasons like why? So, if, is it only when men are happier? Like, is that when they cheat? Or are there factors that might come into play that would, call, even if they are happy, right, that would sort of lead them towards having extramarital affairs? Uh, yeah, there are actually what I call cheating's five primary suspects when it comes to guys. They're kind of the usual suspects. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to be able to remember all five at once on the spot, okay. but, I'll, but I'll try. Uh, one of them is what I call Mr. Globetrotter. He's the guy who travels a lot. Travel creates more affair opportunity, and the single biggest predictor of affairs for men is simple opportunity. If he can have one, he's more likely to have one. Notice how many political leaders and rock stars and uh, men of prominence routinely have affairs or get caught having affairs. They simply have more opportunity. They're not worse human beings. Uh, than most guys is how the scientific thinking goes. They just have the opportunity to act on um, what is a a usual desire 
or not all men desire variety, but most of them do per research, not only in our country in this decade, but in many prior decades and in many other nations and many other kinds of culture from tribal to uh, full on developed. So, um, so that's one of them is Mr. Globetrotter, uh, Second one I've already mentioned, Mr. Opportunity. Uh, third one is Mr. Experience. He's the guy who uh, has a tremendous amount of sexual experience. It turns out that guys with less sexual experience tend to uh, dabble less in extramarital affairs. Um, and then there's Mr. History, the guy who has had a lot of affairs in the past, maybe with another partner. Uh, he had a lot of affairs. He's not a real great bet for fidelity going forward. Um, so those are four, and I just can't remember the fifth right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Well, that's interesting. So, I mean, what does the research say that about uh, affair-proofing your marriage? Is it possible to affair-proof a marriage or a relationship? Yeah. So um, one of the best analogies that I've read from a scientist named John Gottman is that what we need to do to affair-proof a marriage it's kind of like burglar-proofing a house. You don't really burglar-proof a house. Any house really can be burgled, but you you hedge on the side of safety, right? And so um, to a fair-proof your marriage, you really, you're going to err on the side of safety, and you're going to close the windows that exist between you and people you're attracted to, and you're going to open the door between you and your mate. So what happens in an affair is this gradual process of opening a door with you and an affair partner and closing windows that exist between you and your marriage partner. And what that means specifically is you start telling your affair partner more and more about your intimate life and you cease telling your marriage partner these same details until it gets to the point where you're really emotionally much more uh, involved with your affair partner. Okay, so, so, oh, go ahead. Hmm? Go ahead. Well, so so what you want to do is reverse that process. You want to notice when you are attracted to uh, someone and you are feeling tempted to tell them things that you could not comfortably say in front of your mate, and you want to not tell them those things. You want to kind of reach a point where you can catch yourself before you say things that your mate would disapprove of or feel jealous about, and you want to not say them. And I've actually advised uh, people who've written to me at my blog, um, I've got an advice column that's based on science, but it kind of reads like Dear Abby on science. It doesn't have a lot of jargon. It's just, here's the advice, and here's where I got the data that I'm giving you this advice based on. And I've advised some folks who were in a work situation where they, they were with someone who were, they were very attracted to, this, these were women who were writing to me, actually. They were very attracted to these men at work. Uh, they couldn't avoid them because they had to sit on committees with them or they had to be in work groups with them. And they said, you know, I read your articles on affairs and it scared the crap out of me because now I'm afraid I'm going to have an affair with this guy and I really don't want to. And that's the interesting thing is a lot of people who have those kind of affairs, they don't want to. It really feels to them like it just happens. Um, they said, what do I do about this? And really, the way to open the door with your mate there is to defang the issue by telling your mate, there's this person at work, and I'm really attracted to them, and I don't want, you know, I, I read this advice, I heard this advice about research about affairs, and I do not want to accidentally get into a situation that that uh, compromises our intimacy. I don't want to get involved with this person. So that's why I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to warn you or to scare you. I'm telling you about this person so that... Um, 
I can remain close to you and I'm going to talk to you about this and I'm not going to talk to her about this. Right. So yeah, you don't want to talk to the person you're attracted to. Exactly. And, 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 and then what I've also said to these folks, again, it's mostly women who've written to me about this, but science would indicate the advice would be the same regardless, is uh, I've said, and then you tell your mate um, that you're going to minimize your contact with this person and the kind of contact you have with this person will be all business all the time. For example, you're not going to ask how their weekend was. You're you're not going to ask how their kids were, are. And women have a real hard time with that because they perceive it as rudeness. And females are raised to not be rude or to try not to be rude. And so uh, what I've said is if you really want to uh, fair-proof your marriage, you can err on the side of being a little bit rude. Right. You right. don't have to be super nice to everybody. You can, you can be professional and courteous, say please and thank you, but don't ask about his kids. Don't ask about his wife. A lot of people do that too. They think if I ask about the wife, we're not getting closer. I'm not going to have an affair. Not true. Uh, don't ask about his personal life. If he talks to you about his personal life, change the subject. He'll get the hint. Right, right. Well, this is great. So, I mean, okay, we'll talk about, you know, we're talking about closing those doors to uh, potential uh, uh, infidelity. But I mean, what about like opening those windows that already exist between you and your your partner, between you and your spouse? Um, because that's you know that's a a problem I think in a lot of marriages where it might be one of the reasons why people want to stray because they just they don't you know they like they don't feel the spark, they don't feel the chemistry that they once had. Um, I mean, is that just a normal part of a, a mature relationship that you're not going to have? the whiz bang fireworks, uh, that you had when you first started the relationship. And if so, uh, what do you do to manage that? Particularly for men where we're, you talk about in your book that we're kind of hardwired for variety and uh, spontaneity and like novelty. Um, how do you, I guess, strengthen a relationship and keep, keep the spark going even after years of being in a monogamous relationship? This is a great question. You bring up a lot of really important things. Um, one of them is the idea that passionate love will last forever. So I want to start by defining how scientists conceptualize passionate love. Passionate love is the intense longing for union with another. And every word of that definition is vital. It's intense, it's a yearning, and it's a yearning not just for sexual union, but absolute union where you know everything about each other and you kind of, your heart's beat is one. And that's what passionate love is. And so um, it turns out that passionate love biochemically can only be sustained for more than nine out of 10 people. It can only be sustained for six months to two years. It's not going to last longer than that. But right now, because of our uh, emphasis on marrying for love and for no other reason but love. I mean, I'll tell you, you should marry for love, but if that's your only reason, your marriage is probably going to fail. So um, right now, though, the cultural emphasis in the developed world is very much on marrying for love and only for love, with that being the only criterion. Unfortunately, that means that people are destined to some level of uh, disappointment if that's their one and only foundation for the relationship. Because what often happens, um, according to studies on this, is that people begin to question whether they married the right person. It, the thinking goes like this. I'm passionately in love with you, so we should get married. We're married. I'm still passionately in love with you, so you're the right partner. Uh-oh, the passion is starting to wane. You're not the right partner. I obviously need to get a different partner. And if you do that, if you divorce that person and you then repeat 
finding someone based on passion, I think you know what happens. Right, right. And this kind of ties into the research, you know, speaking about marrying uh, for a reason beyond love. But, you know, the research says that arranged marriages uh, last longer than like marriages based solely on love. And I guess it's because there's something bigger that they're, that the relationship is based upon. Yeah, they last longer, but they're also a lot happier, which is interesting to me. The data, to the extent we have data on this, and it's not a lot of studies, but um, the data tend to show that right at the beginning of arranged marriages, they are not as in love as people who chose one another in those same cultures, which makes sense because the people who chose each other went through a courtship and they know each other. And the people in the arranged marriages have often only met a couple of times. So it makes sense that the people who are more in love right at the start of these people um, in the chosen marriages. But five years later, that pattern has flipped, where now it's the arranged marriage people who are happy, happier. And 10 years later, the effect has doubled with uh, the arranged marriage people becoming even happier than they were before and the chosen marriage people becoming less so. And really, the, the critical factor is how similar you are. So definitely marry for love, but you also need to marry for similarity and kindness and respect. If you have love plus similarity plus kindness and respect plus, you're hot for each other. You've got the whole shebang. You can go forward and know that this relationship is very likely to last a lifetime and to be happy. But even if you do all that, to expect eternal on-fire passion is very unrealistic. Now, I want to counter that with um, some very long-term major surveys here in the United United States comparing married people to people in every other living arrangement, people who are cohabiting, people who are widowed, people who are divorced, people who are single. And what they find is that the married people are the most satisfied with their sex lives of any of them. And what's going on there? I mean, why is that? It's because most married, well, of course, we don't know for sure. Uh, the data give us some glimpses. Um, it appears that most married people, um, they understand, first of all, really happily married people freely use masturbation to keep the spark alive in their relationship. Unhappily married people think, oh, masturbation, I don't want to do that. I'm going to stay away from that. Um, but the happily married people seem to, to kind of get it, that it's kind of weird to think that for the next 50 years, you're going to have the exact same libido as your partner. And so whichever person has the higher libido, if they need to scratch an itch, they'll masturbate and scratch the itch. And if, for example, it's very common after a woman has a baby that she just feels touched out and tapped out for, uh, for a while after that, maybe even for more than a year. Not that she never has sex, but she feels overwhelmed. And so in happy marriages, per the studies, the guy will masturbate in front of her, and she may participate in that. But if she's too tired to actually have sex, he doesn't take it personally. And so the sex they do have is fantastic. Um, and uh, so couples, routinely happy couples, use masturbation as a tool to maintain their sexual connection. But another facet of it found in these surveys is that when you ask people, why did you have sex with your partner the most recent time you had sex? Married people are the most likely to say that they had sex in order to express uh, love for their partner. And that kind of sex, it turns out, people tend to find the most fulfilling, where it's a sex that's about uh, more than getting off. It's about uh, emotional union as well as physical union. And they do say, you know, sometimes we just have dirty sex and it's just for sex and it's just a 
get off. But their most satisfying sex, they say, is the kind that is there to express um, that they really cherish and love their partner. Interesting. So I imagine this would require uh, like conversation, like to be open about it, uh, the differing libidos. I mean, is there any research about like couples who keep like pornography use or masturbation use secret and they don't like share that? Or is that something like couples should talk about? Or if they don't talk about it, it can actually hurt the relationship. It can hurt the relationship. Uh, studies show that with as little as an hour of watching pornography, men not only feel less attracted to their spouse, but they also express less commitment for their spouse. That's with one hour. And that's those studies, uh, the first ones were done back when you had to go to a video store and actually, you know, make some effort to get porn and it cost you some money. And of course we don't live in that world anymore. You can get porn anytime, 24 seven for no money at all. And so, um, given that men do have an, an inborn desire for sexual variety and porn caters to that, uh, the vast, vast, majority of porn consumption is male. Women don't tend to watch porn unless they are, A, trying it out, like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And they don't tend to watch it habitually is what I'm saying. Or if they have a partner who says, hey, this will spice up our sex life if we watch porn together. But uh, the women who are surfing around for heterosexual porn just on their own time to enjoy it, um, that's going to be far smaller than one percentage point of uh, pornography watchers. So porn's really catering to a male fantasy. Women have fantasies too, and what caters to that fantasy is the romance novel. I mean, there's porn for women. It's called the romance novel. Um, And so we know for sure from experiments, not just correlational studies, so experiments are superior. They show cause and effect. We know that pornographic viewing causes less commitment to an attraction for uh, partners, from men, men are less attracted to and committed to their female partners after watching porn, even just one hour. So, um, yeah, it doesn't help relationships. I mean, I'm, I got to tell you, I, I had somebody, so I've got a lot of reviews at Amazon and most of them are super, super positive, but I noticed one recently cause you know, authors do check out their pages. I noticed one recently, um, where a woman made a case for why I was conservative. She started out with the year of my birth, which is one of the most liberal times in history. I thought that was funny. And um, she went on from there to say that basically my book wasn't science, it's my opinion. Folks, I'm extremely liberal. Um, So, I mean, you know, extremely so. And uh, what I try to do with my work is I try to to put my own politics and my own values aside and really emphasize what the science is showing us. And so while I would, here's what I I would love to say to everybody. It doesn't matter what you do with pornography or with your genitals, your relationships will all work out fine. But that's really, we've got lots of studies that really counteract that. It's just not true. And so I'm not going to say that it is when it's not. Pornography is not helpful to relationships. What's interesting, though, is people perceive that it is. They will tell you, uh, well, you know, it makes me um, desire my partner more. But what the studies really show is that it does the opposite. It has an uh, eroding influence. Interesting. That's interesting stuff. Um, Okay. So we've talked about why men and women cheat, um, why... um, how we can fair proof our marriage. But let's say we've done all this. Let's say an affair happens. Right? Someone mm-hmm. commits infidelity. Let's say it's the guy. Because we actually had um, some a few people email us with this problem. Like, I, I had an affair with my wife. Uh, she mm-hmm. found out. Um, 
but I really want to keep the marriage going because I really do love her. Just, you know, I had a, a misjudgment and I did this thing, terrible thing. So what, is there any research out there about what a man should do if he had an affair, if he wants to keep the, the relationship going? Yeah, actually, uh, there is research. Fortunately for us, Dr. Glass didn't just research how affairs happen. She researched how to prevent them and also um, how to recover from them, which is the main part of her work was affair recovery. And one of the most surprising things about um, her work was she really found that people didn't fully recover unless they had admitted to the affair that they had had. See, I was always one of those people who said, oh, if you ever have an affair, you better not tell me. I'll kill you if you put me in the position of having to deal with something you did that I didn't approve. Anyway, I'm wrong. Uh, That's actually what I love about science is how often I am wrong. (laughs) Because because a lot of the cultural things that we're currently told just, um, they're not very helpful. And this is one of them, that we're told that uh, we should hide it. Let's say... Let's say that you want to stop having an affair. I got a letter from a guy who wanted to stop having an affair, and he felt like he just couldn't do it without his wife knowing. But when he talked to a therapist about this, I mean, he really agonized about this, and he talked to a therapist about this, and the therapist said, oh, no, 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 no. You got to live with that guilt on your own. You just have to stop the affair. You can talk to me about it. Uh, He talked to a couple of his really close friends about it, and then he wrote to me. And uh, I said, well, the research says you need to confess to your wife, even if she doesn't catch you, the first step is admitting that you are having an affair or that you have had an affair. Um, why is that an important call. step? I mean, what, 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 what's, what, why not telling, uh, what, what is that? Why is that an important step? It goes back to the concept of having, a, a door open or closed between you and your spouse. And, uh, Glass said that, moving forward with recovery without admitting to the affair was like waxing a dirty floor. It, it made it where one of you was still constantly engaging in a deception by not letting the other one of you know the full truth about the relationship. It kept you emotionally distant from the person that you have chosen to be emotionally close to. You know, for a lot of men, um, men tend to be, per the science, more emotional than women, more, not less. There are many, many pieces of evidence that lead to that conclusion. But the important thing here to note is men are more emotional, but they're usually more emotional with one person, their wife. With everyone else, they really work hard to um, maintain some distance, some professionalism, some level of hierarchy. They don't really let, let it all hang out with almost anybody but their wife. Look at how people react after a spouse dies. Women's dominant response to the death of a spouse is to go on with life while feeling sad, but they go on. Men's dominant response is death. So, uh, and that's not just an age thing. It has to do with how socially connected women are as opposed to men. Women tend to have a lot of social connections and men tend to have just that one. So, when a man has an affair and he doesn't tell his wife about it, effectively he's cut himself off at a really basic level from the one person that he wants to remain close to. And this man was in a torment. I felt really bad for him because he knew, and he had had one of those accidental affairs, by the way. He actually felt trapped by the affair partner. He felt like she was going to tell his wife or tell his kids. He was terrified of what she might say or do. He really didn't love her. He loved his wife. 
And he wanted to be in an exclusive relationship with his wife again, and he did not know how to go about it. And so um, the first thing is, Maybe in the co- company of a therapist, maybe, you know, in the company of if you have a, a church or a synagogue or a mosque or whatever, go in front of your religious leader. But you need to admit that to your partner that you've had an affair. That's the first step. And then um, you're going to have to acknowledge your faults in the matter. Um, unfortunately, sometimes when people get caught, not just men, but women, the Temptation is great to blame the other party, right. but we have to really acknowledge our own faults in the matter so that healing can begin because there's going to be a rift in your marriage, and what research shows is that rift can become the end of your marriage, or much more commonly, I'm happy to report, it can become the beginning of a much better marriage than you had before. About two-thirds of marriages do survive an affair, and this is how they do it. So uh, the third step you're going to need to take is really, really tough for people to get their heads around. Your wife is going to reach a point where she wants details. She wants to know things that you just think, oh, my God, this is going to make it so much worse. I don't want to tell her this. She's going to want to know things like, well, okay, uh, that time that you started to say one name before mine during sex, were you thinking about her? She's going to want to know things like... um, what positions did you use with her? She's going to want to know which specific hotel on which specific days. She's going to want to know, you know that time when I tied your tie this way, but then you came home, it was the other way. Had you had a tryst with her that afternoon? She's going to want details. And Dr. Glasses and others' research show that you must give her complete and truthful answers to her questions for detail. And you have to answer these questions for as long as she's asking them. If she's asking them for a year, you have to give these details for a year. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer a free plant consultation forever. So I use Fast Growing Trees to order not an indoor tree, but an outdoor tree. There is an oak tree that was in our front yard that died a few years ago due to heat stress. Had to cut it down. There's been a blank spot that I wanted to put another tree there. I wanted a maple tree that turned bright red during the fall. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the 
criteria that I was looking for turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try fast growing trees right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com code manliness offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Is I mean, is that about building the trust again? I mean, what, what's what's going on there? Yes, um, I know that many of us have been lied to by partners before. I certainly have. And if you think back to times when you yourself were lied to in any substantial way, you'll notice that you don't just feel angry at that partner; you actually feel angry at yourself. You go through a period of not trusting yourself because uh, some of these clues were in front of you and you didn't process them correctly, right? So you go through anger and self-blame. And in order to trust your partner and yourself and thus heal the relationship, you have to have information that helps you reform and clarify the truth of what was happening during the affair. No, so we've talked about if a a guy cheats, but like what if... A guy gets cheated on. Uh, is, it's the is same it the thing. same thing? Yeah, same thing. This advice, so it's interesting. Men and women do have markedly different psychology in courtship. And they do have some different psychology around affairs, but not about affair recovery. Um, and actually, so there are a couple more things that you would need to do. Um, I know this is going to sound weird, but you do have to give up your affair partner completely. There are, there are people, male and female, 
male who try to recover from an affair while continuing to see the affair partner. And you can't do that. I know that sounds obvious, but really, for a lot of people, they're in love with both people. We kind of have an idea that you can only love one intimate partner at a time, but unfortunately, it's truer to say that you can love more than one intimate partner at a time. It's just that it usually causes a lot of really painful confusion if you do. So you can do it, but usually the the emotional fallout within yourself and, and externally with your relationships is very difficult. But when you give up the affair, it actually, you're going to go through a period of grieving. And your partner is not going to like that because she's going to be thinking, why don't you just love me? It's going to be very, it's going to be hard for her to forgive you for loving this other person because sometimes the guy loves his affair partner and it's hard for him to give her up, but he has to do that. And this leads to the final two things that either a man or a woman would need to do. Um, It's helpful if you get a therapist where you can do some of this in front of that therapist and make sure you get one who gets it that you have to talk about the details of the affair because before Dr. Glass's research, Everybody, all the therapists thought, oh, no, we don't want to talk about the details. And after her research, some of the therapists read science, and they realized, oh, that's going to be a really important part of recovery. So you need a a therapist who gets it that science is important and that, yes, we're going to be discussing the details and we're doing it in front of the therapist so that the situation remains somewhat controlled and doesn't spin into hatefulness. Um, And then the final thing is, is... Uh, guys and any women listening to this who've had an an affair, you are not your partner's permanent punching bag after this. It's, you're going to have to make up a lot of stuff, but you're not, it doesn't mean that because you made a mistake that they get to verbally or emotionally or physically abuse you for the rest of time. That's not how this goes. They're going to have to make a decision to either work with you on, um, on recovery, or if they can't handle that, they're going to have to make a decision, the two of you, to cut the relationship. But going forward, it's not acceptable for anyone to be unkind and disrespectful to their mate. There there are ways to do this. A good therapy can help you. But a lot of of people who've cheated, because they fear the reprisal from their partner, they fear the anger, they may even fear abuse. A lot of people who've cheated really want to just kind of say, I cheated, but I'm not doing it anymore. Let's just go on like before. And that's not going to work. Not only are you going to have to share details, but you're going to have to live a completely open life going forward so that you can rebuild trust. Completely open. And what I mean by that is your spouse has access to your phone records. She has access to um, your voicemails. She has access to your online account. You're not erasing your history. Um, you, you're going to have to live as if you were living in a glass box and she has total access to see what you're doing pretty much 24-7. If you know, you've got a deal that you call every day when work begins and when work ends and in the middle of the day at lunch to check in, then you're going to have to do that. It's, it's not the kind of thing where I know it's really common. And for example, with alcoholics to say, I told you I quit drinking. Why do you need proof? You can't do that. That's, that's not trust. Trust has to be earned. And is, is there a certain point though, when that stops or is that something like you have to do for the rest of your relationship? It stops when your partner wants it to stop. It, it's not, you, 
You know, if you broke something, you have to fix it. I mean, I think that's a concept most guys can get very easily. They, they, most guys get it. You know, I got to man up. I broke something. I got to fix it. You got to fix it. It's not fixed until the client says it's fixed, right? Right. And, She's the client in this case. Right. And, and, and for both, you know, whether you've been cheated or cheated, I guess when you've, if you've been cheated on, I mean, is there, is there a certain point where you can't, like, use the affair, like, as a, like, hang it over their head? Right, sort of like as a manipulation tool, like, well, you, know, you did this to me, and so like you have to like do this now. Yeah, you really, you really shouldn't be doing that at any point. And that brings up, it's really interesting. I knew uh, a person who this happened to. Um, I'm going to be a little vague, and just in, on the off chance that anyone connected with her would be listening to this, I always change up some details so anyone I talk about is not identifiable. But. Uh, her husband went away to war. Again, I'm changing some details, but the flavor is the same. Her husband went away to war, and when he came back, um, she, they went, I guess, to a prenatal checkup, and her medical records were laying out on a t- table, and he looked at them and saw that she had had an abortion while he was deployed. And that's how he found out about her affair. She hadn't done any of these steps, you know, and in fairness, this was long enough ago that nobody knew that you should do these steps. She just kind of thought what a lot of people think after an affair, which was, oh, holy crap, I've made the biggest mistake of my life. I can't ask my partner to deal with this. I'm terrified of what his reaction might be. So I'm just going to go on as if it never happened and I'm just never going to do it again. But he found out, well, you know what, 15 years later when they had like three or four kids and it would seem like they were happily married every now and then he would be super ugly to her about this. And she finally said, make a choice. I've lived a transparent life for as long as you needed me to. I've never cheated on you again. I have thoroughly repented of what I did. And if I could go back and undo it, I would go back and undo it, but I can't. We now have 15 years of my doing what I should have done all along and I love you very much, and I want this marriage to work, but I have decided that if you cannot control your temper about this, and if you continue using me as an emotional punching bag on this issue, I am leaving you. And he decided to control his temper and stop using her as his emotional punching bag. And they are still married, and it's been many more years. Yeah, so that, I'm sure that, I imagine that's really hard. Everything, oh yeah, everything about an affair is hard. And everything about an affair is hard really for everybody if they love their partner. There are kind of what I call the profligate cheaters, the people who just, they feel entitled to get some on the side and they don't have any remorse or regret. But that's not most people. Most people, male and female, really feel like, oh, I screwed up here. I really really wish I hadn't done this. And um, so it's really hard on everybody. All right, well, so we just we hit, we went through some really heavy stuff there. Yeah, uh, it but, is. But it's important because I think it's stuff that happens, and uh, no one really knows what to do in that situation. So it's great that there's some research out there on how to how to how to navigate that. So you know, stay on this whole idea of like relationships going bad. We'll kind of get a little lighter. We'll we'll not talk about uh, extramarital affairs. Um, but let's say uh, you're in a dating relationship, or it could even be a marriage. Let's start with dating because it's a little, it's not as entwined, not as emotionally uh, intense. Let's say you're in a, a relationship, you're dating someone and 
it's just not going well. I mean, how do you know when it's time to sever the relationship and how do you do that in a way that's tactful yet you, you completely make a clean break? Um, well, really, um, there, there are five signs when it's definitely time to end a relationship and guys, if, if you have any of these five signs, just get out. This is when you're dating. Um, I want to emphasize this is when you're dating, not when you're married. When you're married, there's a higher level of commitment and there's a longer history, presumably, and there are more reasons, emotional and otherwise, that you would want to really look at it closely. But if you're just dating and uh, you are thinking about ending a relationship, here are the five circumstances where you would end it. One of them is simply, does the pain outweigh the pleasure? I'm sorry, but you know what? Dating's supposed to be fun. If you are in more pain than you are in pleasure, just no. People are usually on their best behavior when they're courting. If the best behavior is making you miserable, this is a, a green light. Just get out of there. Um, another one is if she lacks even one of your must-haves. So one thing that I think we talked about in our first interview, Brett, yeah, was, was making a list of must-haves. And it's really necessary to do it. One of the reasons is that it keeps you honest if, with yourself. Must-haves are exactly that. They are qualities that even if she had 99 other the qualities that you adore. If she didn't have this one, you would have to break it off because you know that you can't have a marriage or a long-term relationship going forward if she doesn't have this thing. So uh, if she lacks even one must-have, no matter how sexy and wonderful she is, you need to move on. Um, I've seen this, you know, I have clients um, and about, about half my clients are men, half are women usually. And I've had both men and women clients who have said to me, um, you know, I really, I think I'm falling for this person. I really want this to work, but, and they'll list something that we've worked out is a total deal breaker for them. It might not be a total deal breaker for you, but it is for them. And, uh, they start to tell themselves, well, but I'm falling in love with them. So that justifies it. Unfortunately, I think our divorce rate shows that love alone is not enough. You really do have to have similarity, and you certainly don't want to go in with the deal breaker. But the, the problem with that is that we tend to feel like love is really rare, and so when it comes along, we have to overlook everything. Love is, love is wonderful, but it's actually very common. <clears throat> Excuse me. In all likelihood, you are going to find someone else to love, but it needs to be someone where you don't have a deal breaker. So no matter how much you like her or love her. If she lacks a must-have, you need to break it off. Don't waste more time. The third condition is related to the fourth. If you don't love her enough or she doesn't love you enough. Uh, I've seen men and women alike who've really agonized about this. They either are much more in love than their partner is or their partner is much more in love than they are. <clears throat> One of the most important findings in relationship science in the past maybe decade can be summed up this way. People vary widely in their capacity for love. Some people simply have a much larger capacity to reveal all of themselves to another person and to be emotionally present and desirous of physical and emotional contact. And some people have a much smaller capacity to do that and it's really important you match on that capacity. If And it may be, you know, I mean, sometimes somebody loves you and you just don't love them back. And maybe you have a great capacity for love, just not with that person. 
either way, whether it's a capacity issue or whether it's a mismatch with this person, it's time to let go. You know, no one ever says, thank you for settling for me. Don't be settled for and don't settle for them. And then finally, uh, if your intuition, if your gut says that this is the wrong person, it's fine to move on. Um, one way to tap into your your gut level, it, I find it interesting that science actually backs intuition as a real thing, but it really does. Intuition is kind of your knowing without evidential proof. It's the right side of your brain, which is unconscious, weighing in on your decision making. And it's there to save your life and it's there to save your emotions. So um, one way to tap into your intuition is with a very simple exercise, the coin toss. You decide that heads is one choice to stay together maybe and tails is the other choice to break up. And then you go ahead and flip the coin. And what I want you to do is in the middle of the toss, notice what your gut told you it wanted. What was your hoped for outcome? That tells you whether to stay or go. Okay. Well, then how do you, how do you end it? That's always, I think, really tricky for a lot of I think anyone, um, because you, you know, you don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Um, but at the same time you want to make sure it's clean because there's that, that risk where you're like, well, you know, you know, you, you try to let them down easy, but like you leave those doors open for the relationship to continue. So how do you end a relationship tactfully, but cleanly? Yeah. I'm glad that you have a, an assumption behind the question that it's important to end the relationship tactfully and cleanly because not everybody shares that assumption, but, um, it's accurate. You really do need to do that. You know, there's not a lot of research on breakups. There's, there's some, since I wrote my book, there's a little bit on it. I did some of my own research in order to address this in my book. Uh, and the new research indicates that, yes, that's what other people think too. Um, <clears throat> first of all, people want you to break up with them in person, um, unless you live very, very far away from each other or, it, or there's some reason to fear the other person. A lot of women are afraid of being attacked. Most men aren't physically afraid of their female partners. So unless you're ac actually afraid of this partner, if you've dated more than a few times, you need to initiate the breakup in person. Um, it's helpful if you have something to do within an hour after in initiating the breakup so that you can get up and leave. You don't want to be stuck there with somebody who's maybe crying and upset. And you can't be responsible both for causing someone else's pain and fixing it, guys. You know, men, men really get a bad rap. Um, a lot of popular writing would have you believe that men really don't care about anybody but themselves and that they are emotionally callous. But actually, the reverse is true. If you even look at what little boys are doing when they play, if you look at, at what men are thinking of when they think about war, men are more likely to endorse violence, but it's violence in the service of heroism. Men want to save the world, and they specifically want to defend and help people they love. And even if they're breaking up with someone that they no longer love or where they know that an ending needs to happen and maybe they never loved this person, most men are still pretty decent human beings and they don't want to hurt this person. And for that reason, studies, my own study in this other one, um, they show that um, guys try not to have the breakup conversation. They like to fade out and just never call again, not out of some malignant meanness, but I just don't want to hurt her. Unfortunately, men and women alike agree it hurts them far more for you to fade out. 
They just don't like that. They want a clean, think about how that felt when it happened to you. I mean, it's definitely happened to me. You'd much rather have a clean ending. But when you deliver that clean ending, do it in a venue where you can get up and leave. They can't stay over at your house or something. And where you have something to do within one hour after the initiation of the discussion. So you're going to invite the person to meet you or talk with you. And then you're going to have to leave within an hour so it can't drag out. And what you're going to say and this is what my uh, research participants in my own, my survey was not scientific, meaning that it didn't represent every adult in the United States. Um, it just represented the people who took the survey. And they may not be accurate, but larger surveys since then indicate, yeah, this is what people want. What people want is the following. They want you to say something kind about them and the relationship. And then they want you to follow it up with a statement that reflects a poor match. Here's an example of what you could say. Angie, I really appreciated a lot of things about our past year together. Um, I really felt at times a lot of love and passion, but I am going to have to break up because I just, I hate doing this, but I just don't feel the way that I need to feel to go forward. What you're doing there is kind. It's also honest. You are stating the truth that you have had a positive history with her. And you're also stating the truth that you don't feel the way you need to, to go forward. I mean, that's the truth. Regardless of what the details are, you might not feel the way you need to feel because she hates your mother and you don't want that kind of relationship. You might not feel the way you need to feel because she only likes sex once a month and you can't imagine living like that. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons that you feel that way, but the bottom line is you don't feel the way you need to feel to go, go on. There are other ways to say that. You could say, I just don't think there's, we have enough in common to continue. Um, but you keep the emphasis on your thoughts and your feelings because that's unassailable. Also, you don't leave the door open for, uh, you don't say something like, I'm just not ready for a relationship right now. This isn't about what you're ready for right now. It's about whether you want this person. And if the answer is no, don't leave them hanging. Don't give them any hope that you're going to reconcile. Okay. And what do you, what, what do, you do if uh, the person you're breaking up with starts saying things like, well, you know, I can change or maybe we can work on this. Like, how do you, uh, you just like keep like broken records saying no? I mean, what do you do? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Well done, Brett. Exactly. Broken record. That's exactly it. So I had a guy, I talk about him in my book. Um, when he came to me to consult about this, he, this guy, is, he's this mountain of a man and he was shaking and crying because he didn't, he didn't see a way to go forward with this woman, but they'd been together, I forget how long, something like three years, maybe longer than that. And he knew that she was going to be in intensely upset at having three years of her life gone to a relationship that didn't result in marriage. He was really fearful of it. But he said, I can't marry her. I just can't do it. And I don't want to waste any more of her time, but I feel really stuck. I just don't know how to go forward. And um, so, yeah, he he wound up having to write down what he was going to say. He kept it real short and he showed it to me. And he said something along these lines. He had a little bit more padding up front about what had been good about the relationship. But then he had it written down. And that, guys, you can do that and take it with you. And he did. He took it with him. He took his piece of paper with him. He arranged to meet her at her house. He arranged to have something to do within an hour. And he arranged to be a broken record. She, and we role-played, he and I. I came up with every objection I could think of that she would make. Like, you wasted three years of my time. How could you even think about this? And what he said over and over was, 
her name. And then like, I'll say that her name was, I don't know, Tamara. It wasn't her name. I don't remember her name, but, uh, he said, Tamara, you're right. And I'm really sorry, but I, I don't feel enough of a connection to go forward. I'm really sorry, but it's just the way it is. And he said that for an hour until she had exhausted all of her arguments. And and then he left. Okay. It ended. It it did. Although even then he, you know, after three years, he had a really strong connection to her. Even if he didn't want to marry her, they had a good sex life. They had, uh, they had a lot of friends in common by then. And he said, you know, I'm tempted to keep seeing her sometimes. And that just doesn't work. Rip the bandaid off dudes. Don't peel it slowly. Break up, break up. Right. This leads into my next question uh, nicely. So, What's the research say say about getting back into dating uh, after you've ended a long term relationship? And, and, and I guess the, here I'm going to focus on uh, like if you've been married and uh, you get divorced uh, or your spouse dies, because um, I think that's it's really it's a common thing. Like, what do you do after you've been with this one person for 10, 15, 20 years? They're gone, and we talked about how that can affect men. Uh, more than women in a lot of ways lose a partner yeah Uh, but uh, what's the advice for men on getting back into the dating game men really grieve in a more protracted solitary way than women do um and so and it can be physically damaging for them and like you said we already covered that. Um, to tell you the best thing going forward, I'm going to start with Mae West and end with science. <laughs> Mae West, uh, for those of you who don't know, she was kind of an American, um, I guess she was a prostitute in the 1800s. And she used to say, the best way to get over someone is to get under someone new. <laughs> and Words of wisdom. Yeah, words of wisdom from Mae West, I'm Mae telling West. you. And... She was right. It turns out that uh, major, large studies by E. Mavis Hetherington and others, surveys of um, adjustment to divorce, that these surveys and studies took place over a 20-year span of time, meaning that Dr. Hetherington met couples as they were divorcing. She interviewed them. She interviewed their children, and she interviewed them, their children, and any new spouses for a period of 20 years annually. So a very deep data set, a very rich data set, and there was more than one study where she did this. And uh, so she's been very clear in her conclusion that the single most effective thing that men and women did to feel happy again was to get another good relationship. Really, the cure for an old relationship is a new relationship. And it's so funny because again, what we're told culturally is kind of the opposite, right? You're supposed to go through this period of being alone. You need to just be by yourself for a while. And Hetherington and others have just said, no, that's wrong. No, doesn't work that way. You don't feel better and then find a partner. You feel, you find a partner and then you feel better. But I mean, is this just applied to divorce? What about, uh, someone who, a widower, for example, Yeah, so um, men have two dominant responses to the death of their spouse. Um, These are the two most common responses. One of them is to die within one year. That's what happened to one of my grandparents. He died. I was just over there looking at his gravestone two days ago, and uh, he died 11 
months after his wife died. And the whole time after she died, every time you would see him, he looked shell-shocked. He looked, um, they were a very sweet couple, you know, they were always holding hands. I remember being a little girl and seeing them always with their arms around each other. And he just couldn't believe she was gone. And, you know, he kind of even lost his memory. He, he would say things like, or he was just fixated on this. He would say, it's been eight months and three days since Helen was gone. He just didn't have anything else he thought of. Men's dominant response, therefore, one of them is death. The other one, though, is much healthier. It's to get remarried almost right away. And, you know, it's funny because societally we still think that men are heartless SOBs for getting remarried right away. But that's often a man's only lifeline into um, intimacy. Very few men have genuinely intimate relationships with other men, unless that man is gay, in which case he has a genuinely intimate relationship with his partner. But um, men tend to have one truly intimate relationship. And when that's gone, even if it wasn't a very good relationship, men are kind of emotional camels. You know, they can take that whatever was good and kind of carry it through the desert of the relationship and persist with that relationship, even when things were bad. It's one reason why uh, women are much likelier to end a relationship than men are. Because men will hang on to the good seed, the good kernel of the relationship and, and persist. When that relationship's gone, even to death, even from someone he adored, um, men usually function much better if they get remarried within a year. And it's interesting because I sometimes hear from women who have been approached by a man who, whose wife recently died. And they say, but his wife only died two months ago, so I said no to him. I told him he needed more time. And I said, you know what? He's going to go marry somebody else this year. You just say goodbye to a catch. Right. And so here's the question I have. How do you deal with, I mean, this could be whether uh, you marry, like whether you've um, lost a spouse and mm-hmm. you get married again, or say you marry someone who is a widow um, for their first uh, husband. Like, how do you deal with like, because that's, that's interesting, that's interesting dynamic. Cause like you have, you're going into a relationship with a deep, deep relationship history with someone else. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there any research about that? Like, you know, navigating the new relationship and with consideration of this history that this person's coming, bringing into this relationship. Does that, does that my question make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And it's a great question. Um, there are some gaps in research and there are also just some gaps in my own knowledge base. Someone might have, um, I wish I knew everything, (laughs) Brett, but I don't, someone may have done studies on that. I don't know if they have, I will say that the people I've known personally through my, and and again, this is not science here. This is me just being a person saying, hey, people write to me with their problems. They tell me how they're solving them. And and I have friends too. And what I have seen from friends and from people who've written to me is it's very necessary for the new mate to allow for a certain reverence for and love for the old mate forever. You're going to have to understand that this relationship was solid and lovely and that um, in many ways, that's actually what makes this person a good catch for you. This guy was faithful and true to a woman until she died. There's a lot to be said for that guy. And if you want to be treated that same way, part of the cost of that is to honor his connection. So, um, I have known some young couples where, uh, the husband or wife had died and this person had found another partner. And what they have told me, these people who are remarried after being widowed, or after being uh, widowed, what these people have told me is, I specifically looked for a partner who would 
understand that I still cherish the partner who has died. And in fact, one of them um, married his, this was a young couple. The young woman died and the husband within a year started dating her best friend and he wound up marrying her best friend. And he told me that he had gotten some flack about this. I I can imagine people getting like, what in the heck? Oh yeah. There were people who refused to go to their wedding. You know, there were people who were really angry. Um, there were people who were creeped out and told him so, Oh gross. She's taking over. It's, it's, you know, like this movie about the roommate who takes over the other person's life. I don't like it. And so he had to deal with all this crap. And he, he wrote to me and he said, but you know, Dwayne, the thing is, she's the only person who will love my former wife as much as I do. Mm, that's interesting. They were friends all their lives. And I have since heard, he was young, but I've since heard from older people who have said the same thing. They've said that my, uh, my former wife's best friend has some things in common with her and also she never questions my abiding love and loyalty for my first wife because she loved her too. Very interesting. Well, Dwayne, we've been at it for about an hour. We've hit on some really deep, heavy topics here. Yeah, today uh, was not light, Brett. Today it was, was not, not light. light. <laughs> no, we weren't talking about what to do on our first date, how to make the sparks happen. But I think it's, I think this is a really productive conversation. Um, but before we go, where can people learn more about your work? Well, they can find out more about me and my work uh, a lot of places. Amazon is probably the place most people go um, because I've got an author page there. My book is available there in e uh, ebook, paperback, and audiobook format, or you can find it on iTunes or Audible. Uh, I take clients that I see via Skype. My clients are usually not from my um, from where I live, so I take clients via. Skype. Uh, you can also visit me on my website, which is lovesciencemedia.com. And you can see all the stuff I've been doing recently and write to me. And uh, I will keep your letter confidential. If I ever share anything about your letter, I will change the identifying details so nobody can figure out who you are, not even you. All right. Well, Dwayne Welch, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. It's been delightful. Thanks so much. I guess it was Dwayne Welch. She's the author of the book, Love Factually. You can find it on amazon.com. And you can find more information about her work at lovefactually.co. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the podcast and you've gotten something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, help get the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili wickdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprites ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for limited time while supplies last In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, 
we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.